we're going to continue on in our series, let me pull this up here, called Perspectives. Pastor Chad began this series last week, and we're going to be looking at uh, some different stories through the, through the weeks as we go, as different pastors will be teaching and different stories in the Bible, but I want to start tonight with a question. Have any of you ever been surprised by uh, someone else's perspectives? Let's say you're speaking to a friend uh, talking about a problem or a situation, and they say something from their perspective, and you just stop for a minute and you go, huh, uh, I never really saw it that way. I never really thought of it that way. You, you had that happen? Okay, and that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, I've always personally been amazed that you can have four or five people witness an event, and then after the fact, they'll all have different takes on what they saw. They'll have a different viewpoint of what they saw. They'll have a different perspective. They'll have processed what they saw from a different angle, from a different point of view. And that's really what perspective is. And that is what I want to present to you tonight, that a first key point is that perspective, or our perspective, is how we visualize something as existing in the real world. I'll read that again. Our perspective is how we visualize something as existing in the real world. And if we look at the definition of perspective, and I, I love this graphic, I have to give uh, kudos to our, our media team and to Petra, our designer. She did a great job. I love this building looking perspective because perspective is a term that's used, and this first definition is used in art and in drawing. The art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface so as to give the right impression of their height, width, depth, and position in relation to each other when viewed from a particular point. That's the first definition. And then secondly, a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something, a point, a view. So this is perspective. It's a point of view. It's a way of seeing something, an angle. Now, I want to share a few funny thoughts about perspective. Did any of you ever stop to just consider that the lobsters that were in the kitchen of the Titanic saw the sinking of the ship as a miracle? Okay, well, so there it came. Somebody else got it. There we go. Okay, yeah, the lobsters from the ocean. All right, good. <laughs> Perspective, right? There was a story. There was a, a man, had two sons, and one Christmas, uh, in one of his, in his one of his son's uh, stocking, he put a golden watch. And in his other son's stocking, he put a pile of manure. Yeah, now for all the teenagers in the room, that joke was instantly funny. I don't even have to say anything else, right? So one son, he gives a golden watch. The other son, he fills the stocking with manure. And the first son brings the watch to his father with his face, he's just worried, and he says, Dad, I'm not sure what to do with this watch. It's fragile and it's small and I, I really, I don't wear watches. I don't like it. And the father, he wasn't surprised by this because that son was typically, had a, he had a poor perspective of things. And then moments later, the second son comes running and he says this. He says, Dad, I, I think Santa's brought me a pony. I just have to go find it. <laughs> perspective, how you see things. 
So why is this even important? That's a good question, isn't it? Why, why are we talking about this? Why is this even important? I was listening to a message from the Gospel of Mark. Pull it out. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. Tyro. Is that better? Okay, good. I was listening to a message uh, someone was teaching from the Gospel of Mark about two, three months ago. And it wasn't even the context of what the person was. He was just relaying the story from the Gospel. And, and as he was talking, there was a moment I just stopped and I thought, you know what? Each person in this story is seeing what's happening from a different perspective. They're, they're experiencing this from their own point of view. They're, they're, they're going to have a different take on, on what's, what's happening. And that's how it is when we read, you know, stories in the Bible. It's, it's, we have the luxury of the story being presented that we see all the angles. We hear all the angles. And it can be easy for us, and I'll say this again later, but it can be easy for us to become critical because we're, we're looking at it from a big perspective, but you've got to remember the people in, in, the, in the account, in the story, they have a, a limited perspective. They have their perspective that's influenced by things. Have you ever been, anybody here, you can raise your hand, you can be guilty. Anybody here, especially the guys, ever yelled at the TV during a sporting match? Come on! Right? Pastor Chad, you're guilty, I know it. <laughs> And we're looking at a TV, and I get the picture here. You're looking at a TV that shows you generally the full field. And you're yelling at a player, come on, get the ball, run, tackle him, get that guy. And my favorite of all, come on, ref. Come on, ref, how couldn't you see that? Right? Because our view is the whole thing. How come this guy can't see what just happened? I can see it. But you got to remember, his view is this much. This is why coaches, they, they review the, the tape afterward. They review the, the videos afterwards to get the big picture with the team. What happened? What went wrong? How, did, what, how can we fix this? How can we see the bigger picture? Because the players on the field, they, they have this much that they can see of the big picture. So we have an advantage. And also as we're reading the Bible, we have an advantage of a bigger view. Now, perspectives can be a powerful thing. They can either bring us closer together. So as I said before, you know, if someone says something to you, you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody says something to you and you're like, oh, wow, I really never thought of it that way. It can draw us closer together or they can push us apart. We can get locked into a narrow view and say, I don't see it that way. I don't, I don't, and they can, they can push us further apart. And we see the influence of perspectives throughout the stories we read in the Word of God. And so it's important for us to understand that just like I said, when we watch a sporting event and we look and we're seeing the bigger picture of what's going on, the same way is, is, is how it is for God. And this is my second point today. God sees us and our needs outside the boundaries of our individual perspectives. God sees a big picture. He sees us and our needs outside of the boundaries of our individual perspectives. God sees the story from every angle. He has a broad view. And what's amazing to me is God doesn't judge us for our limited perspective. 
he doesn't, he doesn't say, come on, man, can't you see? Come on, can't you tell? He, he doesn't judge us for that. In fact, in fact, he wants to help us see things from his perspective. Many of the stories we read in the Bible are really about God trying to reveal his truth to the world, his perspective. I want you to understand, I want you to see things the way I see them. And lies and misinformation, these cloud our vision. They make the truth hard to see. And that's why this is such a, a powerful tool of the enemy. He uses lies and deception against us, which reveals his primary goal. It's to distort the truth, to narrow our field of view, to bring our vision down to something and not pay attention to what God wants us to see. And this is what the enemy is doing constantly. I want, I want to make a point here in a minute. Actually, we're going we're gonna to look at some things in regards to perspective. But I want us to remember that as we read stories from the word of God and relate to the people, and it can be easy for us to, to, to be a bit critical as we see people failing. But let's remember that God doesn't condemn these people for their lack of understanding. In fact, he sent his son, he sent Yeshua to help broaden our understanding. So let's get to our text tonight. If you have your Bible, your device, we're gonna be in Mark, Mark's gospel, Mark chapter two. Now let me give you a little background while you're turning there to Mark chapter two. Um, in Mark chapter one, what, we're, what we see, we're introduced to John the Baptist and that he's out in the wilderness and he's preaching. And then we see Yeshua, he's baptized by John the Baptist and he begins his ministry. We see the calling of the first disciples, Yeshua preaching in Galilee in the northern region. And finally, towards the end of chapter one, he's, he, he comes to uh, the healing and the cleansing of a man with a serious skin disease. And it finishes, really, this chapter with Yeshua telling this man, don't tell anyone what happened, but go Go show yourself to the priest and offer the prescribed offering that Moses prescribed as a testimony to your cleansing. And then in verse 45, it says this of chapter one, Mark 1, 45. Yet he went out and began, this is the healed man, he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Yeshua could no longer enter a town openly. So we, we step into our text with the reality that now Yeshua has become a celebrity. People are looking for him. And that's where we come to, if you'll read with me now in Mark chapter two, verse one. When he entered Capernaum again, after some days it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered, so many people gathered that there was no room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the message to him. So what do we see here? <laughs> Yeshua comes back to home base in a way, to home in Capernaum. And the news is spread. He's been out doing miracles and the people now are looking for him. So much so that they find the place where he's at and they crowd, they pack into this house. So much so that there's not even room in the doorway and he's speaking the message. It says the message to them, the, the good news. He's speaking, earlier in Mark, he said this, that he's telling the people, in fact, Derek read it, that they will, name, they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God has come near to you. And he, he was telling the people, repent and believe for the kingdom of God has come 
near to you. And this is the message that he was teaching everywhere that he went. So this is probably the message that he's speaking in this house as the people are there. And I want to talk quickly about motivation. So what is Yeshua's motivation in this moment? I think it's his motivation throughout his ministry to bring truth and revelation to the people of God, to broaden the vision, the perspective, to see God from a different angle, from a different perspective. Remember, uh, it's recorded in, in Luke, in Luke's gospel in chapter four. Yeshua is in his hometown of Nazareth. He's in the synagogue and they call him up to read from the scroll of Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 61 and he said this in Luke chapter four, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the free oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My mission. And if you look at all these people that he mentions, the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, all of their perspectives could easily be, God doesn't care about me. Easily. And what does he come to proclaim? That's not true. The year of the Lord's favor. The kingdom of God has come near to you. God does care about you. See, Yeshua sees the bigger picture and he's trying to help those who are listening to him to see it as well. Then he continues on in verse three of Mark chapter two. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic, carry, paralytic carried by four men since they were not able to bring him to Yeshua because of the crowd. They removed the roof above where he was and when they had broken through, they lowered the mat onto which the paralytic was lying. So here we're introduced to our next set of characters, so to speak, in this story. We're, inter- we're introduced to a paralyzed man, someone who has lost the ability to control their limbs, at least one, if not more than one. We don't know why this happened. We don't have a lot of background. We don't know if this was something that he was born with. We don't know if he had an injury. We don't know how he got this. We don't have that information. But what we do know is he had absolutely no way of getting in front of the Lord on his own strength or on his own ability. That's what we do know. He's paralyzed. He can't get himself before the Lord. And then we're introduced to four men that are carrying him to this house. It doesn't say, maybe they're his friends. It doesn't say, it doesn't say. It just says there's four men. I assume uh, one of them at least has to be a friend because I don't know how you convince four men to carry you if they're not your, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's possible. But these four men are helping to carry this man to the home because they saw, what I believe is they saw Yeshua as the answer to the problem this man's problem. And it says they tried to bring him into the house. In fact, Luke records in, in Luke chapter five, he's relaying this same story. Luke says, they tried to bring him in and set him down before him, before the Lord, but since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on a mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Yeshua. Now, that for me already is a marvel of engineering. I don't know how these guys did this. I mean, were they carrying rope with them? It doesn't say that. I mean, did they know they were gonna go through the roof before they got there? Did they get there and they say, hey, you run home, because it's, you know, it's not a big place. Run home, get some rope, or go get some rope, come back. How, how did this work? How did they even lower this guy <laughs> down? I have no idea. 
them out, but somebody had the motivation. But that's what's amazing. There's a, there's a motivation here. There's a, there's a motivation. There's a, an, uh, an urgency to get this man before the Lord. And I want to talk about a motivation for him, and I want to talk about some things that influence perspectives, because this is important. It helps us understand some things. There are two key things that influence our perspectives. Number one is our core motivations. Number two is our emotions. So what are our core motivations? We, we have a partner ministry um, that has been very helpful to us throughout the years. A few, maybe two years ago, they, they did a thing. They have a system called core, core motivations. It's, a, it's like a question survey that tries to help people in ministry to know what their core motivations are so that they can find where's a good place for them to serve in ministry. And it's kind of a resource and it's called core motivations. But I, I like how they wrote it. They said, it's a unique, our unique way of interacting with the world around us is our core motivation. And we believe that God put these motivations into each of us. And, and in essence, this is what makes us unique in his creation. We have each of us unique things that, that motivate us. And it made, made me think about our brains the way God created us, the way God designed us, our brains are an amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but your brain is every second that you're awake of every day processing stimulus from all your senses, from your eyes, from your ears, from your scent to your touch. And it's trying to decide, is this useful? Is it gonna keep me alive? No, get rid of it. Oh, I need to pay attention? Okay, pay attention. And it's, it's constantly, all day long, trying to determine what's useful, what to keep, and what to get rid of. Isn't that amazing? No wonder we're tired, right? Our brains are, are constantly trying to, to make sense of, of the things that we're experiencing. I was reading a study on the impacts of motivation and emotion as I was preparing for this. And I want to read you something that I found very interesting. It said this, this, this is a research paper. It said, both emotion and motivation appear to prepare the visual system, our visual system, to detect relevant aspects of the environment by making them easier to see. In regards to the basic hypothesis that motivation might affect our perception, recent evidence shows that, for example, listen to this, people who are thirsty perceive a glass of water as taller than those who are not thirsty. So your motivation of thirst actually visually makes it stick out, seem bigger, more important. In related research, participants who had agreed to walk on their college campus wearing a large, embarrassing sign underestimated the distances to be walked. The authors of the research reasoned that the misconception of the distance was a way of reducing the cognitive dissonance, tension, of having freely chosen to engage in such an unpleasant action. Such data suggests that goals can tune the visual system to see the world in a motivationally consistent way. Okay? Now, in regards to the effect of our emotions, listen to this. Most of us assume quite reasonably that as we look at a hill, for example, 
The steepness of the incline in our visual image is more or less the actual steepness of the hill in the real world. The reality, however, is that the incline is far less steep than it appears. Most people perceive a degree, a five-degree hill, to actually be 20 degrees or more. Moreover, (laughs) Moreover, our perception of the steepness will change from one occasion to the next depending on our mood. For example, when we are feeling sad, we will perceive the hill to be steeper than when we are feeling happy. Such findings indicate the perception of spatial layout is in fact influenced by non-optical factors, including emotion. So why, Pastor Ray, that's very interesting. Thank you so much. But why is this important? Because we need to recognize that our motivations have the ability to heighten certain things in our perception. And that this can actually narrow our perspective. Let's go back to the glass of water. If I'm thirsty and I see a table that could have 20 things on it, but when I'm thirsty, that glass becomes the focus. My, my, my perception gets very near. In fact, I'm thirsty now, sorry. Yeah, see, it did it to me right there. My focus gets very narrowed in. And it can blur out other things. It can, can it cause me not to see other things. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, someone can't see the forest for the trees? When someone is so focused, they can't see the bigger picture, okay? What is the commandment of love your neighbor as yourself? What is that really about? It's to broaden our focus. It's to get you to take a step back. Look at a bigger picture. We also need to recognize that our emotions can distort our perspective of things, like the hill. When I'm feeling sad, that hill looks a lot, when I'm feeling tired, that hill looks a lot bigger than it is. And if allowed, this is the danger, our emotions can actually take us captive by distorting the view of the reality around us. We can become captive to fear. And actually not just look at that hill as something, all oh, that would be hard, but look at that hill as that's, that's not even possible. I can't, I'm not even gonna try. Everybody with me? Paul was speaking to the Romans and he said in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And then later in that same chapter in verse 35, he says, and who can separate us from the love of the Messiah? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because, you, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Change the perspective. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. Again, Paul is trying to help the Romans broaden 
they're experiencing difficulty, they're experiencing struggle, and that's beginning to, to weigh down, and it's beginning to narrow the focus, and Paul is saying, let's take a step back and let's look at this. Let's look at the truth, let's look at the reality. So to recap, we need to recognize that our motivations can have the tendency to narrow our perspective. And we need to recognize that our emotions can distort our perspective of things. Now back to our story. We've already read, we've been introduced to the paralyzed man, his four friends, they're bringing him. We know that these four men saw that Yeshua is the solution to the problem. This is, the focus is, it's, it's laser focus. It's, they're, they're determined. And, and they're so highly focused that it actually motivates them that when they realize they can't get in the house, come on, let's, let's, let's find another way. Let's go. I, I don't know that I would have been that person, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, maybe, maybe I would in that moment. Again, it's hard to, to know because I'm not in that perspective. But I have gone to the mall once before when the parking lot, it's during the holidays and the parking lot was packed and I turned around and went home and said, hey, it ain't worth it. Okay, it ain't worth it. I'm, I'll come back another time. And I probably would have been like, hey, man, he'll heal you, but we're gonna have to wait. We'll come back another time when he ain't so busy. But I, I, we, we've done enough. But, but some, at least one of these four men was so laser focused that uh, we're not giving up. Determination, motivation, focus is driven in. And they get up on the roof and they lower this man down and then it says in verse five, seeing their faith, Yeshua told the paralytic, sons, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, we say amen, because that's true. But I want you to remind, laser focus, gotta get this guy in front of the Lord so that he can heal him. Son, your sins are forgiven. What do you think those men or that paralytic was feeling in that moment? Anyone? Feel free, you can speak out tonight. Disappointment. Disappointment. Why do we assume that? Now, we're not told that. We're not told that they were disappointed. In fact, we're not told much after that. But why do we assume that? At least, why do I assume that? I assume that because their focus was so spot. It was this. This was what was going to make the difference, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I imagine that the guys up on the roof, they're still going, what did, what did he say? Hey, what? Why isn't he getting up? What's going on? What? What? Hey! We're going to see in a minute here, Yeshua was watching the big picture the whole time, the whole time. I want to take a moment just to digress for a minute, and I want to introduce another character that's not so obvious in this story, and that's the homeowner. (laughs) I don't know that the homeowner would be necessarily too enthralled that somebody was breaking through their roof. I don't know that the attitude would have been, wow, look at those guys and their determination. Look how, look how motivated they are. I think it probably would have been, what in the world are you guys doing? What's going on? Get off my roof. Now, if you look at this, 
it's probably most likely that this home belonged to Peter and Andrew and their family. The reason why I say that, and I, f- I found this completely interesting and funny at the same time, is Matthew records this, this story, and he never mentions the house or the roof. <laughs> John Mark, and Luke also mentions it, but John Mark's gospel, which many people believe John Mark was recording the, uh, the, what Peter experienced. He was, he was recording Peter's words. And that would make sense to me that Peter, if this was his house, he'd be like, and can you believe what these guys did? They broke through my roof <laughs> when he's relaying this story. So that makes perfect sense to me, but regardless. But I'm just imagining, I want you to picture for, for a moment, I, this is what the picture that I get. Let's, let's say this is the home of Peter and Andrew, and Yeshua is talking, and the dirt begins to kind of crumble to the floor as Yeshua is talking and fall on the ground and the moment of looking up and all of a sudden some light starts to appear on the floor and I imagine that Peter and Andrew both look at each other and then look at, look at Yeshua like, what's going on? And that moment of, okay, somebody trying to break in to kill him. What's going on here? And why are they breaking through my roof? And that moment of just looking at the Lord and going, what do we do, what do, we do Lord? What do we do? And I just imagine the Lord just that, shake the head. That's what I imagine that just happened in the stories. And they lower this man to the floor. And Yeshua speaks to him. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And I believe everybody in that moment is just looking around at each other like, what just happened? What's going on? <laughs> they're, they're just looking at, at one another. And then... Mark's gospel in verse six says this, but some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, what does he, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Luke, in his gospel in chapter five, gives a little bit of further clarity as to, because Mark says it's scribes, but Luke says uh, in, in chapter five, verse 17, that on those days while he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So this was a gathering, not just of a local leader, but, but religious leaders had come to hear the Lord, to, to see. And they're thinking something in their hearts, but what is their motivation for being there? What's their motivation for being there? I, I personally think their motivation was curiosity and trying to get answers. Who is this man and can we trust him? That's what I think their motivation is. I say that because they're not there debating him. They're not there at this point questioning him. They're listening. Later on in in his ministry, they start to try to trick him. They start to try to debate him. But at this point, it says they're listening. And they didn't even speak these words out. They fought them. And in that moment, as Yeshua said, son, your sins are forgiven, a determination had begun to form in their minds. This is not a man of God. This is not someone we can trust. 
the perspective starts to get locked in. And Yeshua speaks out what's in their heart. Let's read on in verse eight, Mark chapter two, verse eight. Right away, Yeshua understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat and walk? Or to say, get up, pick up your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now again, I want us to be reminded of what I said earlier. It's easy for us to look at these men from the big picture that we see and say, how could these guys not see this? How could they be thinking this in their hearts, all the men who ever lived on the planet Earth that you could give your trust completely to, this was him. But they missed it. But Yeshua understood this. And I believe part of what's, the tension is fear. There's a fear, an emotional fear that's, maybe we lose our, way of life, maybe we lose our authority or our prestige, whatever it may have been, but it's beginning to motivate and affect what they're seeing. It actually made them that they couldn't see. I think this is what's really, and this is huge tonight, and if you didn't hear anything else I've said to this point, please pay attention right now. Because I think this is huge. It says, right away Yeshua understood in his spirit See, through this whole account, Yeshua has been being led, was being led by the Spirit of God. And I think it's very important because it helps us understand Yeshua's perspective. Because if he was being led by anything other than the Spirit of God, let's say he was being led by his motivation, which was to preach and to share the good news, what we read earlier, to, to, to preach freedom to the captive. And let's say this is his motivation. The story might have read a little different. The story might have read like this. The roof begins to cave in. Light begins to appear. And Yeshua looks up and says, hey, I'm teaching here. You're interrupting me. This is what I'm called to do. I'm called to teach. And you guys up there, get down because you're interrupting what I'm supposed to be doing here. See, his motivation, if it would have been his core motivation, it could have draw, drove him to that. But he wasn't led by that. He was led by the Spirit of God. If it was his emotions, it could have read like this. Yeshua wakes up in the morning and steps into the room of the house and sees the house packed full of people and he goes, what in the world are you two people doing here? Don't you know I've been traveling and doing miracles and I'm tired, I came here to rest, get out. Because I'm tired and I want to rest. And that could have been his emotions driving him but he wasn't driven by his emotions. You see, each person at this point, to this point, each person in the story was brought to this moment in time by a motivation. 
Each person was brought to this exact, they didn't randomly end up in this house in this moment. Yeshua had the same senses. He had, this, he had sight, he had ears, he had smell. He had the same input sources as everyone else, but he wasn't led by them. He had the same influences. And I just, I don't know, this is the picture that came to me. It's, it's like the Lord was spinning five plates all at the same time <laughs> with, with no effort, just... Just all these pieces are happening all around him and he's, he's just moving all these, because he's being led by the Spirit of God and he's moving all these things all, and they all just kind of settle into one moment because of his sensitivity and being led by the Spirit. This is our third key point tonight. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to reveal truth to us, to broaden our perspective on life in our roles and place in God's plan for his creation. If we will be led by the Spirit, he will help us to see the bigger picture. With his statement, your sins are forgiven, listen to this. Yeshua addressed a need that no one in the room was even thinking about. It wasn't even on the radar. He saw it. He knew it. And he brings it out. Revelation. If we are willing to be led by the Spirit, we can both receive and we can impart revelation. This is why we need to be aware of what is influencing our perspectives. God he wants to impart his revelation to us. He wants us to see things the way he sees them. That's why he sent Yeshua. And he wants us to be able to impart his revelation to others. But we have to be willing to be led by his spirit. And that's not always convenient with our motivations. And it's, always, it's not always in alignment with our emotions. Let me say that again. Being led by the Spirit is not always convenient to our motivations, and it's not always in alignment with our emotions. So what's the conclusion of the story? Verse 12. Speaking of the paralyzed man, immediately he got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result... They were all astonished and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So in the end, the need of the paralyzed man was met. He received his healing and he walked out of the house into a new reality, into a new view of life that he didn't have 10 minutes before. A revelation of truth was brought to those in the house and they rejoiced and gave glory to God for what they had seen. And I believe those religious leaders were given a lot to think about. <laughs> a lot to consider about who this man really was. A lot to process. And that brings me back to our second key point tonight. God sees us 
and knows our needs outside of the boundaries of our individual perspectives. Thank God for that. Thank him for that. I can see myself in, Pastor Chad mentioned, you know, part of this is to see ourselves in the story and the different people in the story. And I can see myself in, in different times because I think we, we vacillate, we go back and forth because again, of our motivations and our emotions, we go back and forth and we can see ourselves in different instances. And we can relate to these people because we can relate to how these things affect us, our life, our view, our perceptions. Sometimes we can be extremely focused and we can miss the bigger picture. Sometimes we don't see things clearly and we can go the wrong direction or we can feel immobilized. We can't even go, we can't even do anything. So I just, I hope tonight that what's become clear to you is that God wants us, again, God wants us so much to see things the way he sees things. That's why he gave us Yeshua. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. He wants to help us step back from our perspective and to see things the way he does. And I want to close tonight with a time of prayer. If the Lord has been speaking to you tonight, we want to call the, the prayer team up now to the front. The Lord's been speaking to you now. We just want to make an opportunity for you to come down and for us to pray with you, to agree with you. I have a few questions that just kind of lead us to this. Is there a motivation in your life right now that is narrowing your perspective? That's... And tonight, as you were hearing the word, that you just sensed that God said, you're missing something. You're, you're too narrow. I need you to see more. And if that's the case, we'd love you to come down. We'd love to pray with you tonight. And just, again, ask the Holy Spirit to work in you to help broaden your perspective. Are there emotions that are holding you captive? Or emotions that are distorting things and it, it feels like you can't see things clearly. Things are vague. And you're seeking clarity from the Lord. We want to invite you down tonight. We'll have our team pray with you and encourage you. And again, ask God. He, he freely gives to those who ask. We just want to pray with you that, again, God will, through his Holy Spirit, make things clear. Open things up for you. So worship team, if you'll come prayer team, if you'll just be available as people come to pray. We love you. Pastor Chad will come and close in a few minutes, but I, again, I just pray that God will use this, that he will continue to teach us, that he'll continue to broaden our perspectives, that we will be like the Lord. We will be like Yeshua, Lord. Use us to bring revelation. Reveal yourself to us so that we can share that with the world. Amen. Amen.